Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to hear you speak to us. And so would you open our hearts um, to receive your word and we pray that it might write itself upon our hearts uh, and we pray that you do that by the power of your spirit. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, well, as you know, the, in, in the past week we've had Valentine's Day uh, and if you forgot, um, you may now know why your wife or your girlfriend is upset with you. <laughs> Um, but let me tell you, I also forgot it was Valentine's Day um, and there's a reason for that, but I won't share that right now. Um, but what reminded me of Valentine's Day was when I was driving the kids to school and hearing on the radio. And as any, like any cool dad who has the radio on, they have their radio station put to ABC Classic. Um, and what surprised me listening to ABC Classic was that... Um, this is me just trying to be cultured. I'm not, there's no, there's, anyway, uh, you can share with what your favourite radio station is. Um, but what surprised me on ABC Classic was that the presenter declared that the greatest romance on film was... Have a think what you think it might have been. Rocky and Adrian from the Rocky films. Yeah. Thank you for shaking your head. I was... It's like, what? Well, I didn't see that coming. And if you don't know Rocky, there are a bunch of movies about a boxer named Rocky Balboa and uh, it's played by Sylvester Stallone. But I was actually intrigued and I really wanted to work out, because I've never really watched the Rocky movies and so I really haven't seen this romance between Rocky and Adrian. So I didn't go and watch the movies. I did the next best thing. I just looked up online. Okay, And when I researched their relationship, I found an interesting thing, maybe not interesting to you, but as as someone who likes films, um, their first scene uh, where Rocky and Adrian go on a date, um, it was supposed to be an ice skating rink packed with a crowd, like lots of people in in the ice skating rink. But because of budget costs, they had to restrict the scene and all they could afford was an empty ice skating rink. But this actually helped the, the romance. Um, one commentator said, the deserted rink makes a far better setting for Rocky and Adrian's first date. The pair being alone subtly adds credence to the way that Rocky seems to see his relationship with Adrian. It's entirely independent of other people and his growing fame and he sees her as the only woman in the world for him. It's this beautiful picture, isn't it, of this single-minded devotion and that kind of image um, represents that. Now, if I lost you at Valentine's Day, you can come back now, listen. I can see people just looking around. Okay, what's going up there? (laughs) Now, if I lost you at Rocky Films, you can come back because we're not talking about Rocky today, but we're talking about how do do we get that single-minded devotion of Jesus? How can we be on that... That where there's nothing but all we have our attention on is Jesus himself as a disciple of Christ. And so my hope is that as we consider what it means to be a disciple, that actually will be, we will really be devoted imitators of Jesus with our devotion being the primary thing in our view. Last week we were reminded that the heart of a disciple is being saved by grace. There is nothing in you to make you lovely 
to motivate God to love you, but it's out of God's heart that he loved you and saved you. And it's that grace that motivates our being disciples. Now, when you think of disciples and discipleship, you may not think Mark 5 is the passage to go to. Put up your hand if you did. Um, no one's going to put up their hand. <laughs> but uh, uh, it seems a bit crazy, this, this picture of, of uh, a demon-possessed man uh, as a picture of discipleship. So, as we look at chapter 5, I just want you to notice one thing um, about the way Mark sets up the scene. Verses 1 to 5 is sort of like the, the prologue or the background information. Um, because the real action starts at verse 6. But I just want to share a bit about the background because it's really important that you get the setting, the scene, you understand what's going on. Jesus is entering this enemy territory. He's crossed the lake, he's gone from Israel and now he's in Gentile country and we're supposed to feel that he's in the wrong place. And to make it even feel more like he's in the wrong place, there's this incredible shadow of death and the presence of evil. Because we're introduced to a man who is demon-possessed. He's living amongst the tombs, which is to get that sense of um, things are not right and death is very present. And the whole scene is shrouded in fear because of this man, this demon-possessed man, because um, of the evil and the enemy is there. And this demon-possessed man is so powerful he cannot be subdued. People have tried to control him. They try to chain him, but because of his strength, he's able to break free. And you can imagine the horror of listening day and night to this guy scream and the horror of his family to see this man cut himself. We, we get a sense that things are, are not right. One commentator describes the man like this. He says, he is condemned to live out his days alone amid the decaying bones of the dead with no one who loves him and no one to love. And so as we enter this scene, we also are to feel disturbed. But incredibly, Jesus doesn't flinch and we're so thankful that he doesn't flinch. And so we're going to look at two points today. And the first one is, is on the screen, is that Jesus doesn't hesitate to help the man under the power of evil. He isn't overawed by the situation. He's calm and he's in control. Wouldn't you like to be that? That you could enter any scary situation calm and in control. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But Jesus can do that. But I actually, on first reading this, I actually thought Jesus was just responding to what was happening. You know, this this demon-possessed man running towards him and he's just trying to work out what am I supposed to do. But actually... That's not the case. If you look closely at verses 7 and 8, verse 7 of chapter 5, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now, I thought he was just, Jesus was just responding, but it's that little word, that little conjunction in starting at verse 8, which I had missed completely, and my comprehension skills of primary school kicked in this week, and this week only. And I saw that four. And the reason why it's put there is that, well, the demon-possessed man is actually responding to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is going to say, 
has uh, already said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And the, 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 um, the demon-possessed man, or the spirit himself, um, kind of wants to plead his case, argue and, and, and beg of Jesus. Um, you know when you're, you're a little kid and you're fighting with your brother or sister? You know, how, do, how does that kind of fight go? Well, what you do is you start to raise your voice, don't you? Okay? Because raising your voice, you, you, you're trying to exert some sort of power over the other person. And then you start to yell. And sadly, um, we might do this as parents. Um, and part of that yelling is trying to exert some sort of power over the other, isn't it? When you yell. And here we have, um, we have yelling from the demon-possessed man. But he then pleads for higher authority. And when you're, in, when you're little kids, what do you do when you're, when you're having a fight with your sibling? I'm going to tell mum! I'm going to appeal to dad! I want to get dad! That's what, you, that's what you do, isn't it? No. Okay, no. None of you do that. Okay, well, that's just my childhood and I'll see a therapist <laughs> about that later. But the point is, um, here, the demon-possessed man, what does, he, what does the demon do? Well, he yells to exert some sort of power over Jesus and then he appeals to a higher authority, even though he knows who Jesus is. He says, in, in God's name, don't torture me. And if you have a look, he says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. So he knows who he is. He's the Son of the Most High God. And yet, he appeals to God's name. In God's name, don't torture me. He's appealing to a higher authority. But of course, that doesn't face Jesus because he is the higher authority. You cannot get any higher than him. He's not put off. Jesus may have been confronted by this man, but he doesn't hesitate to heal this man. And remember, this is the one who couldn't be controlled. Now, don't forget, this man is unclean on multiple levels, but Jesus doesn't turn away from him. He doesn't ignore him, but shows compassion and mercy. And he frees the man who's oppressed. Um, Isn't it wonderful? Um, And you see how how Jesus is not even overwhelmed by when he finds out the, the name of the Spirit and the Spirit's name is Legion. And what does that mean? Well, Legion means we are many. So it's not just the one Spirit. It's actually many Spirits who are in this one man. A uh, Roman Legion back in the day was around 3,000 to 6,000 men. Okay, So this is not someone um, that you can approach uh, without feeling fearful. And so no wonder this man had incredible strength. Uh, And no wonder he couldn't be controlled. Uh, But Jesus isn't overawed and he's not concerned by the power. And much in the same way, he wasn't concerned by the vicious storm. Remember in in March chapter 4 that terrified his fishermen friends. Um, He wasn't disturbed. See, when in contact with the underworld, Jesus has the power over evil. And as a result of this he can bring about peace and calm. Have a look at verse 15 and we, we finally see the sort of how Jesus saves this man and, and drives out the demon and, and the result is in verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. The man is a picture of, of not chaos but calm and there's this incredible contrast And so here we see that Jesus hasn't and doesn't hesitate to help this man under the power of evil. Now before we jump to 
what does our devotion to Jesus look like? Uh, I think, as we heard from James and Janice, and um, it's 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 more what is Jesus' devotion like look like to us? And I think it's helpful to start seeing that actually we have more in common with the man possessed by a demon than we actually think. Because remember Ephesians chapter two last week, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. You remember you were following, gratifying the evil desires of your flesh and remember that you were following the ways of Satan himself before grace came into your life and did CPR and you were raised to life. You actually aren't... You might think you're better than this person, this demon-possessed man, but evil is there and it, it, it was, it's, it's still around us today. And the, the beautiful thing, well, maybe not the beautiful thing, but the scary thing that Satan wants to do is to convince us that evil is not there. And that kind of suits us, isn't it? Because we, we, we feel like, well, then, if evil's not there, we can kind of control it. We can exert our power and authority over it. But actually, we're fooled. We're blinded. The only person who has actual authority over evil is Jesus himself. And so it's, it's, it's helpful to remember that we too were utterly powerless, we too were dominated by the power of evil and it's only because of Jesus being devoted to us that we can come out of the grips of evil, that we are freed from under the power of Satan and that we can actually live lives that please God. Only Jesus can free you from the power of evil. And Jesus doesn't hesitate to do that, doesn't he? Because if we, um, if we understand Jesus, um, what does he willingly do? He willingly confronts evil here and later on he'll willingly confront evil on the cross. And he does that for you. And if we don't understand Jesus' commitment to us, then we won't be motivated to commit to him. The only way you're going to grow in your devotion, your single-minded devotion to Jesus, is if you embrace Jesus' devotion to you. See, on the cross, he jumps in to help you. And if there was something that scared Jesus, and here we see that um, these demon-possessed men didn't scare Jesus, it's, it's the wrath of God that scared Jesus. And yet he willingly bound himself. He, he, not, not chains, but nails went through his arms and his feet um, he, he didn't have to do that, didn't he? He had the power to, to, to not go on the cross and yet he willingly bound himself up on that cross. For you. And so as we embrace that, that's where the joy and that's where the single-minded devotion to Jesus will kick in. Is when we embrace and realise how pathetic we were, how powerless we were, and how much we needed Christ. And it's only Christ that can actually bring us freedom from evil. And so as we now explore, well, what does actually loving devotion look like then, having been reminded of Jesus' loving devotion to us? Well, it's this, and it's point number two. And thankfully we've only got two points, so we're, we're halfway there. Loving devotion of Jesus is being all in. When we talk about being devoted to Jesus, it's not, a, it's not an enhancement to your life. 
And when we say being devoted to Jesus is not, it's not a kind of, you buy, you know when you buy a car and you buy the optional extras? It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not an optional extra to be devoted to Jesus. Loving devotion is being all in for Jesus. Now, if some of you, you hear that and you either you start to kind of dig your heels in and you don't, don't quite like that or you're afraid because of what that commitment might look like. And so we'll see um, a different range of responses in this chapter but um, uh, the first of all, the response is, well, what about the demon-possessed man? Let's have a look at his response. Well, he, we see that he really wants to follow Jesus. Verse 18, literally follow Jesus. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He's all in. He's committed. He's willing to leave his home. He's willing to leave his past. And he's willing to make a fresh start and be with Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. But um, it's not... That's, that's the key, isn't it? But true devotion to Jesus isn't necessarily going literally following Jesus and because that's what Jesus refuses actually. He says, no, don't come with me. Verse 19. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. See, loving devotion is, is yes, there's a sense that we want to go with Jesus, but it's, but it's more than that. It's actually being willing to listen and obey Jesus' words. That's loving devotion to Jesus. So it's, it's valuing what he says, it's wanting to please him, and it's obeying what he says to you. That's loving devotion. And when we do that, it actually does... A lovely thing. When we lovingly devote ourselves by obeying Jesus, we cannot but tell of Jesus' mercy on our lives. And so loving devotion is actually testifying to the beauty of what God has done for you in Christ. Do you see that in verse, um, verse uh, 19? Go and tell, how, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man obliged, verse 20 and went away and began to do that in the Decapolis. Now maybe, um, later on, Paul the Apostle or others built on this man's work of him sharing how the Lord had been merciful upon him. But that's it. Loving devotion is obeying Jesus' words, listening and doing Jesus' words, and testifying to how good God has been to you. Now that's not always easy, especially when you've gone through really difficult things in your life, but you can always testify to how God has been kind to you by showing mercy upon you in the cross. So that's simply three things of what it looks like. But before we um, go further, let's look at the other response because maybe some of you here um, find that being devoted to Jesus is actually quite tricky. And here we see the other response is fear. Uh, Have a look at verse um, 15 again. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed 
and in his right mind and they were afraid. Maybe you fear of losing your livelihood. You know, if you're all in for Jesus, what will happen if, if it costs you dearly to be all in? Or maybe you just see, well, the power of Jesus, like these people did, and that, that, that makes you afraid. And talking of fearing Jesus' power, we can point to the positives. The man who couldn't, couldn't be controlled, only Jesus had the power to control. No one could help him. Jesus could help him. He was oppressed, cut off from society. But what does Jesus do? He is now free, healed, and can re-enter into society. You see, Jesus' power at, at work and doing good. And yet for all these positives, Jesus want, they want Jesus to leave. And I think it's this. Why do they want Jesus to leave? Because they can't see his care. They don't understand his mercy. And in fact, that's what Satan wants to do, is he wants you to focus on the demands of Jesus and not the mercy of Jesus. He wants you to think, you can't meet Jesus' demands, you can't be a devoted follower of Jesus. And he wants to trick you to think that way, that Jesus will ruin your life because if you want to be devoted to Jesus, it's all in. But that's when you forget about the mercy and how he's devoted to you. But I think more than that, for these people who were looking at what was happening, when they see the pigs rushing into the water, uh, well, for you and me, we're probably more concerned about the pigs, aren't we? Uh, if, you're, if you love animals, you're probably going, oh man, that's terrible, 2,000 pigs drowned in that lake. For you, if you love bacon, you're probably thinking, man, that's a lot of bacon wasted. But for the townsfolk, it was their livelihood. 2,000 pigs. That's, that's, how I, that's how I look after my family. Uh, and yet they don't see how important it was that Jesus had mercy on this demon-possessed man and it didn't matter what the cost was to save this man. They see Jesus' power and think he's going to ruin my life. And we might do that too. We think Jesus demands a lot. But actually, if we realise that actually, yes, he's powerful, but also he's merciful, then once we hold these things together, we actually, we're not afraid to give everything to Jesus. We can get carried away with pity for the pigs. But the point is, your life is just as valuable as that man's life. And we're reminded, aren't we, that on the cross, God's very own son was sacrificed for you. There's no price in some sense that God wouldn't pay to to bring you home into the family. And so your salvation, your freedom from oppression of evil is so valuable to Jesus. He is willing to absorb all evil and do and make justice and make things right. He takes on your sin and instead of chains as we've discussed, he, he, he takes on the nails. And remember the man was dressed Jesus is naked and ashamed or put to shame on the cross. We remember the man in the tombs? Jesus went to the tombs for your sake. See, only Jesus Christ can defeat evil and restore you to proper humanity. Only Jesus can get rid of the demons. Only Jesus can restore you from death to life, 
from under the power of evil into the light of righteousness. And so let's finish here. If Jesus uses his power to care for you, and he does, doesn't that mean we don't need to be afraid to give ourselves utterly to Jesus and his cause? And later in Mark, we're reminded, and we'll finish with these words, Jesus will say to his followers, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Loving devotion to Jesus is all in, and we're reminded because of the powerful Lord, he went all in for us. Let me pray. Father, we praise and thank you that in our powerlessness, in our oppression, you have rescued us and brought us from death to life. We praise you that Jesus has the power not only to defeat death, but to make things right and to destroy evil once and for all. And so, Father, we thank you that Jesus both has the power and that he cares for us. And so, Father, in turn, would you help us to be devoted to Jesus? Help us to rid ourselves of the anxiety and fear of putting everything, our lot, with Jesus? And would you help us to be willing to listen to his words, to please him and obey him and to testify how good and caring and powerful he is? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Liam.